Well, good morning, church. Hey, I want to take a minute, welcome those on the other side of the camera. It's good to see you guys. Hey, church family, that's family. Whether they're in this community or whether they're in other cities across, yes, the nation. We have people listening from Illinois to South Carolina to Florida, from Texas, and Lord knows who else. But can we welcome those that are watching online this morning? Welcome, they're a part of us. Hopefully someday you'll be able to experience what we get to experience together inside of this room. Well, welcome to part four of our teaching series titled Breakthrough. Last week, Pastor Brandon brought it from stage, and I have a confession to make to you. Uh, I sat down there for both services, and it is, it's healthy for me to take a rest here and there. I can't keep the foot on the gas pedal forever, and, but I also love allowing our other pastors to come on stage because they have different perspectives, but it also trains them to be better communicators as well, the more practice that they get. And uh, I sat down there for two services and extremely uh, jealous that I was not on the stage because I love what I get to do. I deeply love it, but Pastor Brandon brought it. It was an amazing message. But welcome to part four of our teaching series, Breakthrough, What's Holding You Back? And I want to do a quick review before we get into really the meat and potatoes of this message. And this whole series is based on this, uh, this statement here that your faith determines how much you experience God do. Your faith we, determines how much you see God move in your life. We looked at, from week one, we looked at different principles of God, of Jesus saying that, hey, your faith matters. He goes into his hometown, and you think he would want to do amazing things there, right? But he says, because of your lack of faith, I can't do what I want to do and what you all need me to do. And so then Jesus left, and you know, we never get another scripture that Jesus goes back and does miracles in his hometown. It was because of their lack of the, their faith. And we looked in week one about a story that Jesus tells about uprooting a mulberry tree. And he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, even that small little seed, you could tell this thing in front of you to move, uproot itself. And we looked at faith and we looked, uh, talked about week one about having supernatural faith in our lives. Week two, we looked at another story that Jesus talks about having faith the size of a mustard seed. But this one's a little different. This one, Jesus says, hey, you see that mountain over there? If you have faith, you can speak to that mountain and it will move from here to there. We looked at in week two that supernatural faith speaks. Listen, as you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have power and authority over the devil. Do you know, understand that? As a follower of Jesus, you have the anointing of the power and authority in your life. So many of us just don't tap into that. So many of us. Last week, uh, Pastor Brandon on stage talked about supernatural faith forgives. It's this idea that we looked at the story in week two, and I stopped it at verse 24, because all of a sudden, verse 25 is in there, and Jesus is sitting there talking about, yeah, have, you have faith the size of a mustard seed. You can move this mountain. Say to this mountain, move from here to there. But at the same time, it's all of a sudden like Jesus changes gears without hitting the clutch, and he grinds the gears. It's like, whoa, what just happened? He's like, but you need to forgive. If you're going to see breakthrough, things in your life, if you're going to see mountains move, if you're going to see certain things, you've got to learn the art of forgiveness. This week, I want to apologize right up front. Forgiveness is a heavy topic last week. It gets heavy again today. But I believe this is for some of us. 
It's your wall. It's your breakthrough. I'm really excited. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up in two weeks. We've got two more weeks of this. Next week is going to get, um, it's just fun. Uh, and then, then we'll finish in, in week four. Then there's two more weeks that are going to be special here at Radiant Life leading into Easter, the Super Bowl of our faith, right? It's Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And so um, why is it heavy this morning? Because in a room full of this size, I know many of you are carrying sin and shame. There are things in our life that are holding us back. And so many of us right now, we are, try, we are sweating so hard trying to conceal the sin in our life. We're trying to hide it from our boss, our spouse, our coworker, and our friends. You were never meant to carry it. Jesus already paid for it on the cross. He carried it for you. Now let's confess it and get it out of our lives. Because there's a thief out to destroy your life. I love John 10.10. 10. It's probably one of my favorite scriptures. And here's what John 10.10 10 says. This is Jesus saying, the thief, the enemy of your soul, Satan wants to come to only steal, kill, and destroy. That is the enemy of your soul. That is what he wants to do. If someone says, what does the devil do? He steals, he kills, and destroys. He's out to devour you. He does not want you living into the image of who God, is, how God created you. He doesn't want you to live into your purpose. He's out to destroy you. And so many times people say, I'll never come to faith. I don't want to be a Christian because God is the killjoy. I won't have fun anymore. No, there's only one killjoy and his name is Satan. And he's out to get you. Because the opposite happens. And I love that Jesus doesn't stop right here. Jesus goes on and says this, I have come that they may have life and have it in what, friends? Abundance. No. God says, hey, listen, I may have to put borders and boundaries on your life to live within these parameters because a loving heavenly father knows you get outside of those boundaries, sin and destruction will have its way in your life. You will bring hell up to earth. I've been teaching my kids this. I love this saying. Feel free to steal it. I stole it from another person. When, when, when my kids are like bickering at one another or stuff are happening, I, I turn and say, listen, you can either call hell up or heaven down here on earth. That's good. No one tweeted that. I didn't see you tweeting right now. <laughs> you can call hell up or heaven down. You choose. I could guarantee you right now, the enemy of your soul wants you to call hell up every time. You go ahead. You lie. You gossip. You do that. You're calling hell up. But we know the heart of Jesus. What does Jesus say? He's teaching his disciples to pray. And he says that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May heaven come down here on earth. Get ready for a fall series called Hell Up or Heaven Down. That's good. Ooh, see, I like that. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, we can ooh in church. All right. But he's out to get you. But Jesus says, listen, but I've come to give you life. Life in the full, life in abundance. But we know this morning we're carrying sin and shame. And for some of us, it's extremely heavy. Well, Ryan, define what sin is exactly. Because, you know, sometimes I like, I think it's okay for me, but not for them. I, I bend here and there a little bit. Like, is that really 
sin in my life. Define what sin is. Okay, I will define what sin is. Uh, any hunters in the house this morning? Any hunters? Okay, well, um, I have this manly thing here. Okay. Um, I've shot this thing only a handful of times because I'm, I'm more concerned about uh, skinny jeans and interior design than shooting a bow. <laughs> Just full honesty. All right, that's... I know, some of you men, turn in your man card right now, right? I just, mm. yay, shoot a bow, okay. Um, we all got our thing, all right? We all got it. You got your thing too. You're just not saying it because you don't have a mic. Um, so I own this thing. I've had it about 12 years or so. Shot it a couple times. Never hit a deer with it. But the idea of sin is actually marked in an archery term. Now take a journey with me to the Older Testament real quick. The Older Testament, what you see is, you see often the word Torah or law. What that meant was it was the first five books of the Bible. That was their Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was known as the Torah, the law, or you can call it the Pentateuch, those things. That word law or Torah is rooted in a word that means to shoot. The idea is this. The idea was, back in the Old Testament times, before Jesus, the Torah was like a bow. It's an archery term. And that the idea was, it would launch, you are the arrow, I will not shoot this over that way, you, you get launched, you got pulled back, and you are, the Torah launches you in a direction to go in life. Does that make sense? So that's what the Israelites known in the Old Testament. As you read that they follow the law, they follow the Torah, that's what it was. But we know in the New Testament, Jesus came, he says, I come to fulfill the law. I look at my life, I am it. Everything you read in the Older Testament, it's me. Watch how I embody and live out the law. And for you and I now, Jesus became the bow. And Jesus now is the one that is pointing us to the target and helping us go and launch to make sure we hit the mark. Now, several years ago, a, uh, a, a video, not a video, a game, an app probably invaded your phone. It was called this, Angry Birds, right? Here's the contemporary idea of that term. This is a slingshot, and there were certain birds, I don't know why they were angry, but they are, and you would pull back the slingshot, and the goal is to take your angry bird and launch it and hit the target, which is a tower of pigs. I don't know why pigs, that's just, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that app, in that developing room, right, when they're creating this app. Like, what is on their minds? All right, so the idea then would be that Torah, or Jesus now, is the slingshot that pulls us back. We are launching, and our goal is to hit the target that Jesus wants us to hit, the way of life, because outside of it is sin. And so many times, you and I get launched but we never hit it. Some of us, we're not even close to the target. We're way off in the woods trying to even find where the arrow is. So many times, the idea of sin rooted in an archery term literally means we miss the mark. 
we miss the bullseye. We miss what Jesus had set up for us. We miss the mark. And you know it. I don't even have to tell you it this morning. You know exactly where you missed the mark. But we're all on level playing ground this morning. We've all missed it. We all missed it. And that's called sin. So let me tell you four things sin does in our life. Because I believe, truly believe, that one of the biggest breakthroughs in your life can be unconfessed sin. Here's number one. Sin steals our joy. It completely steals our joy. Here's what the writer of Psalm chapter 32 says. How, I'm sorry, how joyful is a person whom the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit, ah, I read the wrong one, sorry. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. How joyful is the one who has confessed their sin and their sin is covered, right? Whose sin is covered. That Jesus' blood has covered your sin. And the writer's saying, that is a joyful person. And he goes on, how joyful is a person whom the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is in no what, friends? Deceit, right? So the writer's sitting there going, there, you can experience true joy when you aren't hiding anything right here. You've got nothing to hide. Nothing. And that's how sin comes in and steals your joy because sin's there to sit there and say, hey, be very secretive about what you did. And it'll rob you of this joy because joy comes when there's no deceit in the heart. And the writer continues, and it's going to say verse 2, but I meant, I'm sorry, I meant verse 11. Verse 11 reads this way. Be glad in the Lord and what, friends? Okay, time out. Do you rejoice by saying, rejoice? <laughs> Let's try that again. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. rejoice. In other words, woo, right? And then he says, watch this. Righteous ones, you righteous ones, shout for joy. Oh, you are good. Shout for joy. In other words, like, oh, you're good again. It's like, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Come on, Southern Baptist Church here. It's joy. You can't shout for joy when you're hiding everything inside. You're trying to sit there and go, God, this... Don't look here, God. Don't look. I don't want to tell anyone what I did. And we can't experience the joy. But when there is nothing inside of us, that's when we get to experience true joy. All you upright in heart. Why? Because your heart's not down because you're not hiding anything. Sin will steal your joy. Sin in our life also kills our lives. It kills it. I love what Paul writes to the church in Rome. We have his letter, Romans. Paul was the greatest missionary in the first century world. Went around church planning all over. Follow his journey in the book of Acts if you want. It's incredible. Imagine being a Christian, a first generation Christian in Rome. Very difficult. And here's what he writes to those Christians in Rome. In the letter of Romans chapter 8. It reads this way. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. 
You have to understand that you are flesh and spirit. And the flesh and spirit are at war with each other. So many times Paul will write that sits there and goes, oh, he's so frustrated. He says, the flesh, I do things that I don't want to do. He says, the flesh is winning out. But I want to live by the spirit, but the flesh is winning right now. And that's exactly where the enemy of your soul wants to get you, is to live by your flesh. That's when our sin nature and destruction happen. You're about to die when you live that way. You will get outside the bounds of what God has for you. But he says, but if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste the abundant life. Don't live by the flesh because it will kill you. That's our sin nature. Oh, we submit to the Holy Spirit and be, allow him to speak into our lives so you and I can experience abundant life. Be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. You've got to know that. You've got to know that. Put it to death. Sin also destroys our identity. I think this may be one of the toughest things for us as followers of Jesus. Because hear what Paul, or the Psalm 38 reads this way. My guilt has overwhelmed me. Like a, like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and brought low. And you know that this morning. You are carrying that heavy burden. And you are sick and tired of carrying that. You feel overwhelmed, bowed down, and brought low. Because here's what happens. We in life come here and we experience a painful event. An awful event. And then what we do is we associate a who we are and what happened with who we are. And then we become a prisoner to our past. And that's exactly where the enemy of your soul wants you to be. Some of you are wrestling with who you are right now. You are a child of God. You are not what the enemy wants to put lies into your head. You are not that. God has a better version of you than you are believing for yourself right now. Let's live into who we are. You are a son. You are a daughter of the high, high king, the creator of the universe who loves you deeply. You are not that. You are not that. And here's the fourth thing. Sin holds us back. Sin holds us back. Sin holds us back from more of God. There is so much more to experience from God than what we've experienced so far. I truly believe that. But we got some unconfessed sin in our lives. We all miss the mark. So what do we do? What do we do when we miss the mark? We have two tendencies as humans. We can confess it or we can conceal it. And I'm afraid as Christians, especially in America, 
that we're really good at concealing it more than confessing it. And I love what uh, Ecclesiastes 28 reads this way. I love this response. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. You won't prosper. My prayer yesterday as I walked around this room is to pray that, God, may we prosper for you. Too many marriages aren't prospering because we're concealing sin. Our life is just not prospering at work because we're concealing sin that we've done in work. We've, we've cheated corners in our jobs. Our schools aren't prospering because you won't stand up for Jesus, but you've got some things. Is you act this way on Sunday morning, but you're really this person Monday through Saturday. We conceal it. Know this, friends. You're only as sick as your secrets. Let that sit in. You're only as sick as your secrets. Some of us are wrestling with gossip issues. Some of us are wrestling with judgment issues. Some of us are wrestling with all sorts of addictions. You know what you're wrestling with. And you're only as sick as that secret that you're concealing right now. And you know what the enemy of your soul wants to do? Remember, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you alone and isolated in this world because he knows sin grows best in the dark when no one else is looking. Ah, it's not going to hurt anyone. I can look at this website. Oh, it's not going to hurt. Like, will it really hurt if I just say this about this person? They have no idea if I'm going to turn my back and do this and that. Sin will grow best in the dark. You and I are created in God's image. God is a three-part three being. He is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the presence is the Holy Spirit. He is in constant community, setting the example for you and I. Get alone, you're an easy target. Get alone, sin will creep in, because it goes best in the dark. Oh, do we need each other, friends. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but... If they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. There's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession means I have verbally admitted it with my lips. Repentance is I am walking this way. And repentance is I am turning around and I am going back towards who God is. Listen, friends, repentance will disrupt your life. Why? Because so many times, listen, this is horrible for a pastor to say, but it's true. Sin is appealing at times. If it was so ugly, we wouldn't do it. Consequences will always catch up. That's ugly. But you repent because you're walking this way, it will disrupt because this way sometimes feels so comfortable and very humbling if you had to turn around. Oh, but on the other side of repentance is beauty and restoration. Confess it or conceal it. What do you do? Pastor Brandon brought this verse last week, and I'm going to bring it up again. 1 John 1, 9 reads this way. If we confess our sins. See, the Bible is so awesome because God's word actually gives us formulas for life. 
I think so many times we don't actually slow down enough as we're reading God's word to understand the formulas of how to live our life. Because too many times what we do is if we're going to do a devotion, if we're going to have our quiet time, which again, have your devotion time, quiet time just means you're in God's word alone. And um, we just do it and then we put the Bible away and we say we're good. It's a checklist, right? I get it. Sometimes it can feel like a checklist. I'm done. But if we slow down enough and said, Holy Spirit, reveal things to me. Check my heart on certain things. Oh, there's a formula. If we confess our sins, if, almost like John knew, some of us may not. If you confess your sins, watch this. He, God, is faithful and just. He's faithful to meet you right where you're at. He'll meet you there. And when he meets you there, what is he going to do? He will forgive you. Oh, there's goodness and grace coming into the presence of God. He's not undone. He's going to purify you. He's going to make you as white as snow. Ryan, can he really forgive me if I confess that sin? Because that thing was really big. No one knows about it. Yeah. Because he says, from all unrighteousness. There isn't a bigger sin that's bigger than your God. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus. You know, it's very interesting when you read this letter, the book of James, because you really get a perspective. You really have to ask yourself, if you were a half-sibling of Jesus, and he's walking around saying, doing the crazy things, always perfect, it'd be really hard to convince, like, is my brother really God? And it actually says Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. But James ends up rising in leadership and becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Writes a letter, James, and he's convinced that his brother, Jesus, is the Messiah, is the Savior, is the Son of God. And I love to paraphrase the message of this verse, James 5, 16. It's so powerful. It says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together, watch this, whole and healed. Right? That means I got to walk around and tell a bunch of people everything I've ever done? No. But I would highly encourage having a group of people, one or two people that you can pour into to say, hey, I messed up. Here's how I messed up. Can you please pray for me? You confess your sins to God for forgiveness. You confess your sins to others for healing. So you can be whole and healed. You want to live in freedom and have breakthrough. Share the truth with others. And that's hard sometimes. So let me ask you a question. What in your life needs to be confessed? For King David in the Old Testament, King David was known as a man after God's own heart. But he missed the mark. Because one day when he should have been off at war, because kings in the ancient world would actually be the leader of the military. He would lead them to battle. It says the Israelites are off at battle, but King David's not where he's supposed to be. He's in the palace. 
Some of us, you're not where you're supposed to be. God's called you here, but you're still here. Or here. And God's saying, here. And David finds himself there, and unfortunately he goes up to the palace rooftop, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. He wants to sleep with her. So he summons, I want that woman right there. And he sleeps with her. And to conceal his sin, he tried having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed on the front lines of battle to conceal it all. And it worked. Then the prophet Nathan arrives on the scene and gives a beautiful narrative story to King David. And King David says, it says in Scripture that King David is irate about it and says, you know what? That man should be killed. That is wrong. And the prophet Nathan says, David, that's you. And David confesses what he did. He found healing on the other side. In part of his confessional, he wrote Psalms 51. 